Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. The reading is uh, Jesus's family tree. Can you hear that? Yep. Okay, so we're going to explore that, but we'll be jumping around because it's pretty long. So Matthew 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jumping to verse 3. Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram. Jumping to verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And jumping to verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thank you. Thanks, Terry. Could you just turn these fold-back speakers off for me? Cheers. Who glosses over the genealogy, the, 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 the list of names when they read the Bible? Come on, be honest. Wow, you're... I want to see some hands. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to do that, isn't it? They sort of all blend into one. In Australia, one of the ways that we recommend ourselves um, to other people is to list our achievements. We often list the school we went to, if it was a good one, at the education level that we reached, the experience that we've had, uh, what we've accomplished. And so we put these onto a resume, uh, particularly when we're applying for a job. And in all the jobs that, that I've applied for, I, uh, I've recommended myself for the role or the job in the best manner that I possibly could without obviously lying so I can get the job. I even include people on, on you know, at the bottom of my resume, people who know me well, who, uh, who can give an honest but positive uh, appraisal of who I am if they're called upon to do so. I do this because I want people to get a positive picture of me and uh, I want them to know what I'm capable of. And I'm sure that uh, you've done the same thing as you've applied for jobs as well. Uh, or if you've applied for a course you know, at university, get into some sort of uh, scholarship or something. What I never put on my resume, though, are all my stuff-ups and failures. I never mentioned uh, that although I went to a, a really excellent private school in Adelaide, I never mentioned that I... I didn't actually finish year 12 there. Uh, after my electrical apprenticeship in my 20s, when applying for jobs, I uh, also never mentioned on my resume the times that I couldn't find the electrical faults or the time when I had to call my boss into a restaurant packed with 100 people as I was trying to fix the oven, 100 angry diners and a furious chef. I, I never mentioned that. And I never mentioned when writing a proposal to, uh, about writing a dictionary, 
I never mentioned on the proposal that I'm actually the world's worst speller. That would have just been too embarrassing. In life, we often try to hide our failures or we at least try not to mention them so that people don't get a poor impression of us. We do this in, often in job situations. We do this in public settings, in friendship circles, in churches. We even do this with God. We're afraid that if people really knew us, warts and all, then they might reject us, or they would reject us. That's what we're afraid of. So we often try to, to airbrush our lives, leaving out the bits from our past that we regret or that we just find too embarrassing and shameful. I'm sure that you can think of things that you regret, things that you fear that other people might know or find out about you in case these things will in case these people will end up rejecting you. These are also things, there are also things in our lives that we regret, uh, which we think will also exclude us from a relationship with God. In Jesus' day, people also struggle with the same issues of wanting people to think highly of them. They, uh, the way that people presented themselves uh, in a positive light in Jesus' way was via the family tree, via this, here I go, via this, uh, via this list, I'm going to put this down, I'm not going to touch it, okay, via the family tree, the genealogy that, uh, that Terry just read for us. And uh, this genealogy, this family tree showed all who were all, all of people's relatives going back in history. And so in those times, uh, because people lived in a more collective culture than we do today, the people whom they were connected with were actually their resume. A good family tree was in a sense a way of telling people who you are. And uh, this would play a role in, in uh, who you could actually marry or, um, or, or the access you had to power and to money and so forth. In fact, uh, God has, uh, has used a certain form of resume, the genealogy, in the Bible to tell us some very, very important things about Jesus and what he came to do. And so in, in, Matthew, in the case of Matthew's account of Jesus' life and ministry, he starts his gospel account with a list of names of all the people that, Jesus, that were in Jesus' family tree, all the people he's related to going back in history. We usually skip over this list of names because we, we sort of wonder what a list of names of someone's dead relatives can actually teach us. Oh, I mean, let's face it. You know, it's like beginning a movie with the credits. You think, well, you know, what can they teach us? Well, that's what I often thought until I read the genealogy in Matthew's Gospel. And I want to suggest to you that this list of names of Jesus' family tree is not a dry and dusty list like you think it is. It's probably, and this is a big statement, I know that, it's probably one of the most controversial and confronting sections of Matthew's Gospel. It's, it's uh, for Jews in the first century after Jesus' death and resurrection. This list would have been like having a 
bucket of cold water thrown in your face, or it would have been like a double shot espresso on an empty stomach. It would have sort of, you know, jolted you into, uh, in, into consciousness. This list is not some docile list of names. It tells us that Jesus' birth isn't just a quaint story about a cute little baby who goes on to do a few really good things. Matthew's list of Jesus' relatives is a statement that says Jesus' birth is an act of radical inclusion. And it is important, I believe, as we go into Christmas that we know why. When we write our resumes, we only include the best bits of who we are and not the ugly bits. No one writes a resume which says that they are slovenly dressed, constantly late for work, have a low attention span, and that they made a major accounting blunder in their last job that cost the company millions. I've never seen a resume like that, and I'm sure we never will. The same principle applied in ancient times. In Jesus' day, the the better quality of your family tree, the more you were received into higher circles. And so because of this, people used to massage their family tree. And what I mean by massage is that they would uh, they'd actually remove people who were problems. Oh, you know, nah, nah, he's a problem. Or they would include people. Yeah, he's, he's pretty distant, but yeah, let's put him in. He's got a big name, did some big things. And they did this so they would get a better reception. Herod is famous for doing this. But what stood out in what stands out in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew's gospel, and particularly for someone reading it in the first century, was that it hasn't been massaged. Okay? It seems that Matthew forgot to edit it. Yikes! Have you ever submitted something at class or at university that you forgot to edit? You know, you've got two copies, the unedited version. Well, it seems that Matthew pushed the button too early. In fact, Matthew has written for Jesus a resume which included all the questionable people in his heritage. This is not a resume that will get you a job. Jesus' genealogy, his family tree here in Matthew, is scandalous. Because it includes people who, if you were an upstanding Jew trying to impress people of that day, then you wouldn't want these people in your list, in your family tree. So the first thing that we notice about Matthew's list of relatives uh, is that they are mainly men. Matthew is basically mentioning all the fathers of Jesus which is normal way of writing a genealogy in Hebrew society. But what's actually scandalous about this family tree in Matthew's Gospel is it also includes five women in the list. At that time, including a woman's name in a family tree wasn't really the norm. What's worse is that the women that Matthew includes are not women that have sort of done noteworthy things. They're not sort of women like who have spent 50 years in the Amazon jungle teaching and caring for people in an ancient tribe. Or they're not someone who is the biblical version of Mother Teresa. The five women who are included in Jesus' family tree were all women who you normally wouldn't include in anyone's family tree. Most especially the family tree of someone you're claiming to be a Messiah, the Son of God. What was Matthew thinking? 
What Matthew is telling us, and he's not telling us in a quiet voice, he's actually shouting it to us. If Matthew had bold print, 14 font, this would be written in that. What he's telling us is that Jesus' birth is an act of radical inclusion. You see, the women were not just gender outsiders. These five women were also cultural and moral outsiders too. You see, three of them were foreigners. They were Canaanites. Two of them were Canaanites and one was a Moabites. Okay? So for ancient Jews, the Canaanite people and the Moabite people were their enemies. They were considered unclean and would never be permitted in the temple. They also worshipped other gods and idols, which really was the icing on the cake in terms of being rejected. What Matthew is telling us then in this dusty old list of names of people included in family in Jesus' family tree is that anyone, okay, underline anyone, no matter your gender, your culture, your religion, your morals, your ethics, can actually be included in Jesus' family, which is quite radical. But what's even more striking about this list of names is that by naming these five women, Matthew is deliberately making the readers recall incidents in Israel's history that they would rather forget. Matthew, doesn't Matthew know? Didn't anyone tell him you're not meant to, you're not meant to mention uncle or aunt so-and-so and what they did? Remember back then at the last Christmas? Just mentioning the names of these women, these women is enough for people to immediately recall the sordid, immoral and unethical activities they were connected to and who are now scandalously included in Jesus' family tree. The first woman mentioned uh, is Tamar. Matthew says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Tamar was a young woman who tricked her father-in-law, Judah, into sleeping with her. Yep, put that one down on your list. Deep in Jesus' family tree, Tamar is there and she deliberately practised incest, something which at that time was punishable by death. Tamar had originally married one of Judah's sons, who had actually died without giving her any children. And according to custom, in that time, Judah was actually meant to uh, give to Tamar one of his other sons, one of, uh, his, uh, one of his other sons for Tamar to marry, uh, so that she would have children by them and they would be heirs to all that Tamar's husband had inherited, the property of his. But Judah, Judah her, her father, Tamar's father-in-law and his sons, they didn't act justly to Tamar. And so she takes matters in her own hands and she dresses up as a prostitute, she disguises herself and sits where her father-in-law would see her so that he would sleep with her, which is what he does, not knowing that she, who she is because she's disguised and he sleeps with her and she becomes pregnant and produces two sons, one of whom is in Jesus' family line. What a story! In the Bible, Matthew includes the names of Judah, Tamar and their sons Perez and Zerah in his list to make sure that the whole story is brought to mind when, the, when we read their names. 
So what's the message? What's the message we're supposed to get from their inclusion? The message is that Jesus, the Messiah, is actually born from a dysfunctional family. We're not alone in having dysfunctional families. The next woman mentioned is Rahab. Matthew says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab is a Canaanite woman who lived in, in the fortified city of Jericho, the first town that the Israelites came across, crossing once they crossed the Jordan River. Many people know the story because Israel camped around Jericho, remember? And they walked around it seven times and then the walls all fell down. Well, before that, um, Rahab was there and she was a Canaanite and the Canaanites were enemies of Israel, which seems bad enough for her to be included in, in this family tree of Jesus. But what, was, what really stood out was that Rahab was also a prostitute. So one can understand Rahab, the Sunday school teacher, being included in Jesus' family tree, or Rahab, the medical missionary to the poor, but Rahab, the prostitute? Wow. But she's included in Jesus' family tree, and she's also mentioned in the book of Hebrews as a woman of faith. Although she was a Canaanite, she came to recognise and follow the God of the Hebrews, and she played a valuable, if not cunning, role in their victory over the Canaanites there at Jericho. But despite being a woman, a Canaanite, a prostitute, and someone who sold her own people out to save herself and her family, she's included in Jesus' family tree. The next woman mentioned is Ruth. Matthew says, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth was also a foreigner. She was a Moabite woman who started life worshipping other gods like the rest of the people in Moab. But she's also included in Jesus' family tree as a relative of Jesus and the great-great-grandmother great of King David. Finally, King David is mentioned. Now, here's a person you would want mentioned in your family tree, surely. I mean, royalty at long last. Unless, of course, you've been watching Netflix. Well, you know, that might put a bit of an ugly spin on it. But... Uh, but Matthew's mentioning of David in, in chapter 1, verse 6, is possibly the most ironic under, understatement in the whole Bible. Matthew says, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. What, why doesn't he mention, even mention the woman's name? Ha, has he forgotten her name? The woman's name, the... the, 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 the uh, the woman, uh, the woman, or the way he says it, Uriah's wife, it, it doesn't sound controversial the way he writes that, you know. Father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. That doesn't sound controversial unless you know the story. Unless you know the story that goes with it. Matthew names all the other women. Why not her? The reason he doesn't mention a name is because he doesn't need to. Because everyone already knows the name. It's Bathsheba. But Matthew doesn't want us to 
just think here about King David or even King Solomon and, you know, kind of all go, oh, yeah, King David, what a, you know, oh, yeah, King and yeah, Solomon, yeah, royals. Matthew doesn't even want us to think about Bathsheba, that woman. Matthew wants everyone to remember that David slept with Uriah's wife and got her pregnant. He wants us to remember that she was already married to one of David's most loyal soldiers and friends. You see, Uriah was actually one of the 37 bodyguards that actually protected David day in, day out while he was fleeing from Saul. So he's not a nameless casualty of war. Matthew mentions her because David got Bathsheba pregnant and he had Uriah killed in order to cover up the whole sordid saga. This, this, this was sort of a slap in the face to David, not actually a slight on Bathsheba in the way that Matthew writes Uriah's wife there in the text. Again, we see that it's out of a dysfunctional family, out of a deeply flawed man that the Messiah descends. And at last there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. Matthew records Mary in his list saying, Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. What's noticeable straight away is that this entry is different to all the other entries that we've just heard read. As Mary is mentioned as the mother of Jesus, but no father's mentioned. Joseph is referred to only as Mary's husband. And although we know the outcome of this event, that the conception of Jesus is, is actually a miraculous act of the Holy Spirit, the name of Mary in Jesus' genealogy as a single mother of a baby with an unknown father would have been considered a scandalous inclusion, the coup de grace, the death blow to anyone's hereditary resume at that time. In Jesus' family tree, we have five women, three of whom are cultural outsiders from Canaan and Moab, people who are considered unclean, worshippers of idols and foreign gods. There are also moral outsiders, adulterers, adulteresses, incestuous relationships, murderers, prostitutes, liars and traitors. These people are all excluded by the law of Moses from God's presence, and yet here they all are mentioned as Jesus' family members. What does the inclusion of all these characters in Jesus' family tree mean? Why are they there? What is Matthew telling us by mentioning them? Well, first, first it tells us that there are no barriers to inclusion. All people who had been excluded by culture, by the law of God and by the fact of not being respectable moral people can be brought into Jesus' family. It doesn't matter about your gender, your cultural heritage. It doesn't matter what you have done or thought or wish to do. It doesn't matter if you have been a liar, a traitor to your country and kin or a murderer of your loyal friend and co-soldier. It doesn't matter if you have sold your body for sex or sold other people's bodies for sex. What Jesus' family tree tells us as we approach Christmas is that Jesus offers you undeserved kindness and that he can deal with the sin and the shame in your life 
so that you can be united and included in his family. As you accept his offer of undeserved kindness, he calls you to turn away from your life of sin and shame and to trust him to deal with the junk of sin and shame in your life. Matthew is telling us right up front in his account of Jesus' life and ministry that it's also by grace that we are included in Jesus' family, all of us. Even King David, who was not a gender outsider or a cultural outsider or an economic outsider, is included in Jesus' family by grace. David did some bad stuff. We often talk about him defeating the Philistines or cutting off Goliath's head and we think about him in sort of hero terms. But his moral failings and his actions were worse than all of the women in, the, uh, in Jesus' family tree, many of whom were actually victims of men. David got his loyal friend's wife pregnant and then killed his friend to cover up his mess. It doesn't get much worse than that. Yet here is David, included as well in Jesus' family tree, along with Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba and Mary. Many of us have written resumes to get jobs. Most of these include just our good points, the things that we want people to know about us, our education level, our marketable skills. Seldom, if ever, would any of us include our failings or our character flaws. We do the same with our life resumes as well. We want people and God to know our good points, our Mother Teresa moments, but not about when we swear and curse, not about when we shout abuse at the driver in front of us who's cut us off. We don't want people to know if we've drunk too much on Christmas Day. We don't want people to know that we struggle with anger or gossip or jealousy, as these are unbecoming. And some of us today wonder whether God can actually even include us in his family, knowing what we've done and where we've been. Friends, reading Jesus' family tree tells me that we're not alone and that it, that, uh, that it is for people like Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, David, Judah, you and me, that Jesus was born. It's part of God's amazing inclusion project that anyone, no matter what they've done, said or thought, can actually be included into Jesus' family. And this is what Jesus' birth signifies. The end of barriers and exclusion and the inclusion of all who repent and put their hope and trust in what God has done through Jesus. Christmas Day should be the happiest day of our life. Friends, God wants you to hear loud and clear that you can be included today in Jesus' family. There's nothing that you've done that Jesus cannot deal with or from which Jesus cannot set you free. Your divorce is not something that prevents you being included in Jesus' family. Your past sexual activity will not be a barrier to Jesus including you in his family. Your past use of pornography will not prevent Jesus including you in his family. 
the anger and violence you've extended towards others, including your own wife or children, will not stop you being included in Jesus' family. Being a thief, a liar, a tax cheat won't prevent you being included in Jesus' family. Yes, we're ashamed of these aspects of who we are. And yes, they're not good and they need to end. But they're not deal breakers in preventing God including you in his family and transforming your life. Today, perhaps you are a Christian and you technically know that you are in Jesus' family. I mean technically. But you struggle with stuff in your life that you're ashamed of. And this plays on your mind. It prevents you from praying. It prevents you from relating to God. And it prevents you from allowing people to really know you. Today, Jesus wants to deal with that stuff in your life and he wants to set you free so that you can relate to him in new and fresh ways this Christmas. For others here today, you think that your past prevents you having a positive future. Especially one in which you can relate to God. Today, the story of these five women and men in Jesus' family tree are telling you, they're shouting to you, that that is a lie. That is a lie of the devil. Jesus wants to welcome you today into his family and the way to do this is by turning from that which displeases God and that brings you shame and to ask Jesus to carry that for you and to transform your life. As we approach this Christmas, know that Jesus' birth is an act of radical inclusion and I encourage you to enter into his family today and when you do, Jesus promises that he will never let you go. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. We're just amazed by a list of names that can just shock us and tell us so much about what you came to do through Jesus. Uh, it's just amazing that those people, any of those people are actually in that list. It's amazing that we could be included in Jesus' family as well. But it's true. It's true, and that's why you've come to include us. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to embrace that inclusion, that we would turn from those things that are life-depleting, those things that enslave us, those things that, that shame us, and that we would turn to you and ask you to transform us. I know you can do it. I know you want to do it. I know that, that Christmas reminds us that this is why you've come, Lord Jesus. Help us to engage and to embrace that today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.